Just before we get into it, I need to remind you that the Football Index podcast is supported by Football Index Trader, the best site for in-depth scouting and trading strategy. The new season is fast approaching and Football Index Trader.co.uk will be giving in-depth FI-focused previews of every league, including analysis of the pre-season friendlies to help members prime their portfolios for success in the new season. To see the site for yourself, just go to the homepage and click on the Take the Tour button. You can see a whole month of example player scouting from this season and some example member articles too. As an exclusive offer for Figcast listeners, you can give the site a try with a 25% discount on your first month with the code FIG25 over on footballindextrader.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Index podcast episode 147. If you guys haven't had a chance to check out last week's episode, it was absolutely fantastic. I was joined by Dry Off Your Cheeks, who's an analyst, forecaster, loves this data. And we just had a really great chat about some really great things to do with a lot of data and some stuff that I didn't really grab my head around. I did feel like I was talking to Index Machine, but another version. But it was really awesome nonetheless. Go check that out. Today, I'm joined by debutant passive trader, guy that I went to uni with, FI and Chill. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing very well. I'm honoured to be on the podcast at last. 147 weeks later, you're on. I'm not sure whether I should be honoured or like, offended, really, having been around since day one. But 147 has got something to it, at least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's good to finally have you on. You were going to be an emergency guest when someone dropped out, but then I was like, you know what? FI and Chill could do the job on the main stage in his own slot. So I finally got you on. So why don't you tell me a bit about your Football Index journey? It's no doubt going to involve me, but I do want to hear it from the horse's mouth. Yeah, so I started maybe like three years ago now with yourself back at uni when we were doing the same course. I remember you sort of chatting about it a bit and being like, oh, you should check this thing out. It's pretty fun. You can trade footballers and stuff like that. And this was back in the day when things were pretty, I don't know, immature, shall we say. Yeah, sort of traded a small amount, £10, £20, you know, worked the way up to like £100, let's say. Then some of the boys at uni got involved. We'll get into that in a bit. And then, yeah, there was like a good solid, I don't know, five or six of us who were sort of doing it. And at the time, it was just a bit of fun. And then things started to get a bit bigger about maybe like two years ago. And sort of the things started to get a bit more, I don't know how you'd say, not like legit, but a bit more like real, I guess. They were taking it a bit more seriously and it wasn't just like random Twitter things going on. Then I put a bit more money in about, I don't know, maybe like a year and a half ago now. Yeah, since then, it's sort of been really good returns. Put a load in like maybe a year ago. And then ever since, just been sort of working off that. And yeah, recently it's been pretty good. Mm. I think we have one friend on that course who probably massively regrets not staying on board. You both went for the kind of £500 risk-free first week, however much you both put in. But he stopped after that first week and just said, I don't really fancy it. I think he lost some money on Morata. That was the crazy summer. Where was it going to United or Chelsea? And I think you stuck with it. So fair play to you. I think you've profited enough from it. And I think we rub it in his face every time we see it. Yeah, exactly. I think I've been around long enough to see the ups and downs of the whole index and certain players. I even had a friend at work start maybe like six months ago, just put all his money into Sancho <laughs> then took it all out like three months ago. 
and was like, oh, fuck. And <laughs> one of our other friends just stuck with it. And like every day I would see him, we're just saying, look at him now. Like, <laughs> think of the money. <laughs> It's good that you've mentioned your work. I'd love to, I mean, you can tell listeners what you do and it might make for some interesting listening, I suppose, to hear what the conversations you have with with your colleagues, peers at work and how they kind of respond to FI because you obviously work in the financial services world, they're financial. Yeah, so sort of financial consulting, think of the firm as like a sort of big four equivalent working with some of the big names out there. Yeah, I think, you know, it comes up fairly regularly at work. It was even mentioned when I was on a podcast with work the other day. What, an internal one? Yeah. <laughs> how did that go down? They were like, oh, are you like a football index trader? And I was like, yeah, how the hell do you know that? They were like, someone told them. And people were really interested in it because I think for them like, and for the company, it's about like sort of reimagining ways to solve problems or new ways to sort of rethink technology and stuff. And I guess football index has kind of done that as well with as you view it, gambling or a certain way of trading. It's sort of broken into a new market of people who were either gambling or interested in football, but maybe weren't interested in the stock market. And now they've sort of got like a, a sort of a merge of the two. So I think it goes down pretty well at work. People are definitely interested. And I think, you know, I talked to them about some of the gains I've made and, and they're even more interested. So <laughs> yeah, I think it goes down pretty well in my industry. That's great. I mean, it's good to hear, but also I mean, have you had any conversations where they're like, oh, why is this like this? And you're just kind of like, it's just FI. It's just how it is. (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely certain conversations where you're like, yeah, that's just this because of something that happened two years ago. I think one of the main things that people maybe are hesitant about is that you don't really own like a, a physical item. So, you know, a lot of my friends or colleagues would, you know, invest in, let's say, I don't know, like a, a Vanguard fund or something or like an ETF and you do own a percentage of something mm. or you're backed by something. I think with this, it's like, yeah, you don't own like a part of Rashford, but is there a reason why you don't have to own a part of Rashford? Like, mm. is that just the old way of thinking that you have to have a physical thing? If you look at like mortgage bonds or things like contracts, that. Yeah, exactly. People are betting on things that, you know, that they don't physically own. So it's been around for a while. This is just a new way of looking at it, I guess. I think some Goldman Sachs analysts actually came out today in an article by Bloomberg that said that younger people nowadays are more likely to buy Bitcoin than they are to buy gold, which I think in the next kind of like five to 10 years, that shift's going to be not complete, but we're certainly going to see more and more people experiment in kind of the digital asset world. But more we are going to see, especially when regulations in the US loosen up a bit from a gambling perspective. We're going to see more of this kind of FI stuff in the mainstream and in the great world. And I think young people who can incur a bit more risk and want to actually enjoy it rather than just sitting on like FTSE 500 tracker are probably going to be really interested in this kind of stuff. Definitely. I think, you know, in the past, it's always just been like, how do you want to make money? I just invest in like the lowest fee SAP 500 tracker (laughs) and you're guaranteed like 10% a year. I mean, okay. The SAP 500 or these FTSE 100s don't really relate to what is going on in the market as everyone's seen in the last like year or so. And you just got to look at also like physical items, like younger people nowadays, are they going to own a house? Are they going to own a car? Like, is it all going to be services? Are we actually going to own anything physical in the future? I think you can think of it that way as well and can relate that to what FI is doing in terms of footballers and not owning a, a physical part of the footballer. 
And then it's not only, you know, young people, of course, I don't want to be ageist at all, just because there's two fairly young people here. But there are people who are 30, 40s, 50s who have kind of gambled recreationally for 10, 15, 20 years. There is also that area of the demographic that have big expendable incomes that really could be attracted to this product for a variety of ways for more of the gambling side of things as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've got my own like views on what like gambling is and what it's good for and what it's bad for. But I think, you know, FI, if it can, you know, maintain a responsible roadmap of what it's going to do, then it definitely sort of breaches that gap in terms of like what is pure gambling and what takes a bit more, I wouldn't say skill, but a bit more like enjoyment and thought into it. I think there's definitely that, especially for the gamblers. And I think when I look on Twitter now, there's a lot more, how should I say, gamblers joining FI than there was back three years ago, let's say. Back then, it was a very much smaller community. It's good to see. And there's a massive market there for FI in terms of like Bet365 and all these things. Like That's just a massive amount of people and a massive amount of money um, that could be not lured away, but you know could broaden their horizons a bit. Yeah, I mean, we've mentioned Bitcoin and crypto assets. We mentioned Vanguard funds and the S&P 500s. We mentioned gambling. I think people do need to sometimes stop and think about just how big the market is. But before we get into it and get into some questions, because there's loads, miscellaneous and some actual serious ones, I need to remind everyone that the Patreon is up and running. Over 60 people on there. If you don't know what a Patreon is, it's where content creators create premium bonus and behind the scenes content for their audience. In my case, I'm trying to help traders profit more on their football index journeys by adding as much insight and value as I can. There's £5, £3, £8 and £12 tiers. I don't know why I said it in that order. They all don't include VAT. Massive, profuse apologies in advance. I hate that kind of VAT, non-VAT system that the Americans have kind of pushed onto even European Patreon creators. They've got different perks for each of those tiers. So do check it out for the best football index content around. Head over to patreon.com forward slash fi guide that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash fi guide for more information and join a growing community at the fig patreon so we've got a lot of miscellaneous questions obviously i mentioned in your bio that you are uh university alumni colleagues whatever you want to call it cash money show pony here <laughs> so he's the guy for reference fi and chill who makes all the memes the announcement tweets so the one with you as the fi and chill for the questions that was made by him he's a master of the memes. How many times did you have to carry Figlet's lifeless body home from various socials? I mean, yeah, first of all, great memes. The one of myself is absolutely amazing. I mean, I didn't have to carry Fig home too many times from socials. There was a trip to uh, Budapest (laughs) after we finished our final major projects. That got a bit out of hand a couple of times. And there's a notorious story about someone running into a car and rolling behind it. That fig still to this day says it wasn't him, but I think we had a lot of good socials. Uni of Nottingham was great. We had a good time there. Our course, I think we both realized halfway through that we were both just like, actually, this really isn't for us. (laughs) So what can we do to just sort of pass the course while also have a really good time and uh, just look at Football Index most of the time? So there was a lot of that going on. And yeah, we had a lot of good nights in the sort of nightclubs around Nottingham. If everyone knows like Crisis and Ocean and those sort of places, they were pretty big ones. Yeah, fun times, fun times. I mean, I still do maintain to this day with that Budapest story. It wasn't me. I mean, the story goes that someone heard or someone bumped into a car 
car alarm went off and apparently I did like a ninja tuck and roll over a car around the corner to get away from this car alarm because we thought some people were chasing us but it's not true I don't even think I've got the physical ability to do like a ninja tuck and roll it was hilarious it was just so out of nothing I remember it to this day and I'm sure it was you obviously it's like four in the morning around Budapest so at the time it was hilarious when you say it on a podcast I'm not sure how funny it sounds <laughs> Harwood Index which character from the in-betweeners was fixed like at uni yeah it was definitely Simon <laughs> If you're dropping and rolling, you're definitely a Simon. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that is painful. F-I-L-L, how was going to uni with the fig in bold capitals? Yeah, I mean, pretty similar to the first question, really. It was a really good time. Both did the same course. We weren't really like friends outside of the course in terms of like sports and halls or anything, but we had a really good close-knit group of friends in the course who, like I said, decided that engineering wasn't for us and we just sort of (laughs) decided that you know we have to do the minimum to get through it but our sort of final not exam but was it like a major project it was called was pretty tough and it was worth like a significant amount of our grades like like a third of our grade yeah yeah. so ridiculous it was basically like the thing that decided your uni yeah there was a lot of I think for like four weeks we were just in this one like IT room just doing all of that I think we saw some insanity breaking out in certain people who will remain nameless but Three days struggling with no sleep was pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, back to back to back all night is, is not fun. It's tough, isn't it? But, you know, it's actually your kind of guys that you lived with that coined the fig name, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. I think shower has to go to the Flip Friday household. The fig, <laughs> believe it or not, was not invented by the fig. There was a group of boys that I live with who named him Football Index Guy, I think it was. Yeah, it was. And then you changed it into Football Index Guide. So I think they have to get a shout out on the podcast. I think, you know, we have to talk about Flip Fridays. (laughs) Can we talk about it? Of course, yeah. I mean, you obviously like the concept, loved it. And I mean, I never entice people onto the platform by saying, hey, every Friday they IPO players and you can make quite a lot of money. But for your household, it was a different story. Yeah, for my house, it was like the biggest thing of the week. I don't know how long this went on for. It must have been a long time, like, I don't know, a couple of months, maybe, or more, maybe Mm. like three or four months, five months, where people have been on the platform for a long time. Every Friday at 12 and 12.15, they released two new players onto the platform when there was only like the top 200 at this time. Mm. You know, without going into too much of the trade secrets, there was a method (laughs) that you could use that you could basically click a number of buttons and you basically get the player like super cheap and be able to sell it like a second later for significant amount of profit. For more context, for those of you who had joined FI far later than the kind of Flip Fridays, the top 200 era, which was so long ago now, you know, we're talking two, three or so years ago. So every Friday, as FI and Chill mentioned, 12, 12, 15, two players would get IPO'd, two players would get relegated from the top 200. And essentially, it was literally fastest things first. Whoever got the player first would get them. And so at uni and with the Flip Friday house, we'd all experiment between us and people on Twitter would experiment to find the fastest way to do it. I even know someone, funny story, I won't name them and shame them because I think it's quite funny and embarrassing, but in a funny way, they bought a adapter so they could stick Ethernet straight into their phone to make their phone even quicker. Mate, that was a crazy time. And like the house that I lived with, there was like five or six of us. Five of us in the house. And I promise you, like, we were making as a house, like, over a thousand pounds a week off Flip Fridays. There was, like, weeks where 
I think my friend was making like 500 pounds off Flip Fridays, just like in 15 minutes. We became known as this like Flip Friday house. And I promise you, it was like the biggest thing of the week. You had to make sure you were by the Wi-Fi. Like you had to make sure you were there. You had to have like <laughs> a number of different phones. But there was about three months or four months where we were making comfortably like a thousand pounds a week as a household. And to this day, the boys absolutely talk about that every time. Uh, I mean, it made it so you could probably buy a lot more drinks on nights out, which is always great. Yeah, our savings never went up, <laughs> but we always just succeeded in Flip Fridays and it grew and grew and grew. And I remember at one point there was like 10 of us just in the same house just doing Flip Friday. Brilliant stuff. Are any other Flip Friday boys still on Football Index? I went like, on a trip away with them recently. I think a couple of them are still like passively got like a couple of long-term players, but I don't think many of them are like into it that big, really. Hmm got a question here from Rob Cheese, right? What was the most awful, shameful thing Fig did while he was at uni? I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know if he did anything too shameful. There's one thing that I've got in my mind that I won't oh, mention. Really? I Maybe think. you can jog my memory. Nah, it's another Budapest one, but I won't. Oh yeah, well there is the Budapest one, but we're not mentioning that. <laughs> I think seeing a man having to present after not sleeping for three days, I've seen him at his low. And that yeah. was like... A massive low. And it wasn't like shameful or anything, but it was pretty tragic. <laughs> it's just tragic. We've got like guys and girls who have basically stayed in these like design studios for days on end. People like bringing mattresses there to finish these fucking projects and then presenting to a board of tutors, which will be accounting for a third of their grade is always pretty shameful. I remember one of the questions I got, like, how did you come up to the conclusion that this product that you've designed will cost 200 pounds? And I just went, to be honest with you, I don't know. <laughs> so I just looked at him straight in the eyes and went, I don't really know, mate. Just ballpark. That's how much it will cost. I remember like spelling the name of my product wrong, like on the main title of the boards and I happened to go get it printed. And I was just like, I'm sorry, I'm not going back. Like, This is the end. I just want this over with. <laughs> like, yeah, terrible stuff. Terrible stuff. Just before we move into it, I need to remind you guys that this podcast is sponsored by Index Gain. They launched a product this week called MyIG, which helps traders manage their portfolios as well as view real-time spreads and prices across the entire index. Analyze price moves for your players over multiple price periods simultaneously. Get real price alerts straight to your phone for the players you hold or are watching. So if you head over to indexgain.co.uk, you can use the code FIG2020 for five quid off your first month. Or if you go for their six-month membership, you get a month free and five pounds off, which is pretty decent. Got a question here from DazzlerFI, who's been on the podcast himself and was very good on it. It says, what are your views on all negative sentiment articles resulting in zero points in the new media review? This could result in the most talked about players or the most talked about news, for example, David Luiz or David De Gea errors or toxic relationships like Pogba and Jose not being reflected in the media scores. Is that logical? And I mean, we talked off air. You're not a fan. Tell me why. We talked off air. I'm not a fan. I think because football is football at the end of the day and there's positives and there's negatives, you know, obviously we don't want any form of like, you know, racism or when like Jack Grealish crashes his car or anything. But I think like stuff that goes on on the pitch like should remain in the media. If you think back to when Balotelli was at Man City, his price now could be a pretty decent price just because he's a media like buzz. And that's what media is. It's positives and negatives. If you look at like Pogba, not everything he does is brilliant, but that's what fueled that like one summer with him and Jose Mourinho just like going at it and stuff. So I think up to a point, negative sentiment should count. I think it's just going to create a sort of maybe a further divide in the market. And you'll say, oh, actually, OK, now he's not a performance buzz and a media buzz player because 
he's a performance buzz player, but he's a negative media player. So how do you draw the line? I think what it might result in is FI having to change the rules again because the system may not work and too much stuff is taken out for maybe even good players because of the way people write the articles. Mm. I think it leaves too many ifs again. And I think that's kind of what the ifs and the buts and when people question that sort of stuff is where FI really falls down. Yeah, it's really tough. I literally just thought of an if and but now. It's like, what if there's like a horror tackle in a game, but the article is like Harry Kane scores winner in horror tackle game. You know, it's a shitty headline from me. But does that mean that he gets no points from that? I wrote in the newsletter, though, that goes out tonight. Definitely subscribe, head over and check that out. I was writing like Eric Dyer when he went and tried to fight that guy in the stands. If Harry Kane, that game, and it's the only game of the night, so everyone's watching it, the media winner is definitely going to be from there. Harry Kane scores a brace after their 1-0 down. He's on to win media and probably deservedly so as the guy who's being talked about for doing good for his team as a footballer. Eric Dyer, then the human, like not on the pitch, goes and like tries to punch this guy in the stands. He then wins media. For me, it's a shame that someone has lost the potential media win there in Kane just because of what Eric Dyer has done, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get that scenario. But I think at the end of the day, like, that is football. There's an element of like the fan interaction, how the managers talk to them. If Fergie like threw a boot at Beckham's head and all this stuff, and all or the hair dryers and stuff like that, like, I think like that should be included. Like, where does the line stop? How do you define what is negative and what's football? I think you know if Eric Dyer did go punch a fan and like Harry Kane misses out on Buzz, like yeah, it's shit for all the Kane holders and stuff. But at the end of the day, like that's what happened on the pitch. So. I think negative sentiment should be included for that reason. I think it makes a bit more fun out of media, which it could just end up resulting in being like, let's face it, like Rashford, Sterling, like just do great stuff like all the time with the community and they could just run away with it. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be discussed with it. I I think it's very hard to say whether it will or won't be good for the index as a whole until you see it in action. I think like a lot of changes with the index. But I do think one thing is that it might make media a bit more weighted towards players that are good. And that actually might increase their liabilities a bit more. They probably might have to pay more media dividends out just because of this one change. Because every now and then we've got David Luiz and David De Gea who do something crazy or Eric Dyer or Meza Ozil who do something crazy that win media and probably rob a kind of quote unquote media buzz demon of a win. And if it's going to be catered towards players that do well on the pitch more, you can have more of the Canes, you can have more of the Sanchos. I mean, I'm just naming random players here, the Ronaldos or Messis, that are going to win. And that might actually, on the FI's balance sheet, mean that they are giving up more media as a whole to more traders. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in my eyes, it's just going to make like the top 10 or the top 20 or whatever you want to call it. Like They're just going to accelerate more and more. And that just results in either having to increase divs or having to think about like, new ways of either, like, I know they spoke about like fractional shares or share split and stuff, but I think for the portfolios that have got a smaller you know, amount of money, they sometimes bet on like saying Balotelli doing something or so, and that's what entices the lower end of the market into those sort of players. And if you're just going to disregard all of that, then I think it's kind of a shame because that's kind of the fun of Football Index at the end of the day. Because if it's just going to be good on the pitch, good off the pitch, good at football, yeah, like you said, where did the top 10, where did the top 20, what is their true value now? It's like saying, oh, they've actually doubled, like, because anything negative that happens in the match is just disregarded. 
Again, we're making assumptions because we don't know how it's going to play out, etc. But my gut instinct is that FI have probably increased their liabilities due to making it more concentrated in the who the winners are. One of the things that I wanted to chat about really quickly was with the media changes that are on the horizon, considering there are the matching engine system now, I do wonder how many times we are going to be in the situation now where Eric Dyer does something like that crazy and people buy thinking that he might win media, gambling on some of those articles not being negative, if that makes sense, or using certain words that aren't negative. Because I remember like when Eric Dyer did that, he flew in price. He probably flew in price more than someone that weekend who scored like a hat-trick or a brace. And for me, I don't think that's very intuitive. I don't know if I'm sure what you think. I mean, you've already kind of described it. But for me, in that game, if a player scores a brace or a winning goal, etc., or does something really good, they should go up in price. But if they go up in price as much as Eric Dyer punching someone in the head, it just seemed a bit off me. And I think that's why I've always been very for the sentiment scoring matrix being improved and being looked at. Yeah, I guess it's a shame when... It would happen like on a pitch when the game's on and stuff. Like when Jack Grealish got punched in the head. Yeah, that sort of stuff. But then like what happens in the media days during the summer and stuff, like the last two summers, you just get some great articles coming out of people doing stuff and that fuels that market almost as well. Yeah, I think it's too vague. There's too many ifs and I think the Twitter army will be sure to have an opinion on it when something ridiculous gets through and, <laughs> and wins buzz and the other players don't because I think that's kind of the problem with media right now. I mean, I've always enjoyed it, but I think some people will love the negative sentiment being removed because it's all about football. I think, you know, Football Index is more about more fun and I liked having the negative players in there. <laughs> it gives them value. Yeah, I think this has made it more concentrated, but let's see, you know, I don't want to speak too soon. That's my gut thought, but in kind of practice, we might see something different. We've got a question here from PMK on the Discord. Are you more or less confident about a passive strategy since the introduction of matching engines and the sentiment post the dividend review? So I think when the matching engine first happened, you sent me a few messages like, Fig, what is this? Like, how's it work? Blah, blah, blah. But you kind of got to grips with it pretty quickly, didn't you? Yeah, I think it's pretty easy to get to grips with. I guess they're just trying to increase liquidity, which has been the biggest thing of the last three or four months, people banging on about it. I think in terms of the question, I don't think my confidence has really changed in my strategy with either the sentiment change or the matching engine. I think it's stayed pretty much the same. I think as long as you pick good players who are regularly getting either media buzz or some PV in there, like you're pretty much going to be okay with a passive strategy, I think. Hmm. Have you been taking advantage of it? Have you been able to shift players around? Have you been able to make some bids that you're happy with, etc. since it's come in? Yeah, I think with a passive strategy... What I mainly do is be a bit of a bellend, really, and just put loads of really low bids in <laughs> on players that I've already got who I know are going to be around for you know a number of years and just see what happens. I don't really go on, as you know, FI like every day or anything. So I just sort of stick to what my strategy is and put in some low bids and see if I get any nibbles. I don't think it's changed too much. I think it kind of maybe helps the passive strategy because you can sort of wait till the market's at a low without looking at FI too much. So let's say like, I don't know, let's pick a player like Mason Greenwood, for example, if he drops like another quid and I've got like a bid already in, I just pick him up at the price that I'm happy to pick him up at. I don't have to be checking it every day. Mm. So it's quite good for that. So yeah, I don't think my confidence has changed too much. It's made it a bit more interesting. Yeah. You've got your passive strategy for your portfolio. Now it's a passive bidding strategy, which I think a lot of people 
are being a bit too impatient with, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. I think the one problem with FI, and it's always been around for a number of years, is people's impatience and like they need to see some sort of, how do you say, like uh, straight away they need to see some sort of profit. You know, if I said that about some of my players a while ago, then I wouldn't be in the position I am in now. I think, yeah, there's no problem with waiting on players for a while. If I looked at my portfolio now, minus, I don't know who's the big players who've been going up recently, like Sancho and that lot, they're all pretty down because obviously it's summer and there's no football. But mm. I'm not selling them at a massive loss right now. I'm just sitting on them and you've got a whole other season ahead of you and you've got another two, three seasons where you've got a number of opportunities to either buy in or buy out. So I don't think it's a problem. Yeah, and I mean, there was the dividend review recently that was obviously hotly anticipated. I think a lot of people anticipated a larger increase for a variety of reasons, FI and chill. What were your views on that in terms of what we had as an increase and also the kind of negative sentiment that we saw after it? Did that worry you at all? I don't think it worried me as such. Obviously, I keep up to like tabs of what's going on on Twitter and see what people are saying. Personally, I think it was pretty good. It added a new dimension to the game in terms of like team of the month. And obviously, I'm a big advocate of the goalkeepers coming in. And I used <laughs> some of my Flip Friday skills to make an instant profit on some of them. I mean, you've said to me every single announcement you've sent me a WhatsApp just saying it's going to be goalkeepers this time. And I'm glad you're right this time. Wait, I called it. But I think in terms of the increase, I think there's a little bit of, how do you say it, like Twitter feel like maybe if they shout enough, then it happens. Like if we just keep saying it enough and keep hitting the drums and everyone gets on board with a 100% increase in buzz, then it will happen. I don't think that should be the case. And I think FI do a good job at trying to make sure people realise that it's not all about this sort of we'll increase divs so players go up. And then what we'll do is we'll wait till they go up a bit more, then we'll increase divs. And it becomes almost reciprocal. I think people need to realise that that's not the case. And there are other ways that you need to trade to make money. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think it's is two pronged, right? There was a notion that we thought it'd be bigger as a community. I think 90% of people did and 99% of people predicted it. It wouldn't be in the way that it was, you know, with goalkeepers that felt like a big curveball. Do you ever think there should be maybe a longer term approach of, of how dividends are structured and how dividends are increased? You know, maybe if it's pegged to the market cap or et cetera, et cetera. Now we've got a, a situation where it's being reviewed every August, but you as a passive trader, is that something you worry about or is that something that you are kind of confident that FI get right whenever they need to get it right? I think now they get it more right than they get it wrong. <laughs> they used to get it a lot more wrong than they do, yeah. Yeah, I remember some of the days, like some of the Twitter stuff was absolutely horrendous. Like you just see him like doing a Q&A and the uh, market would fall like 20% just because of like one tweet he says. And like people forget that's what it used to be like two, three years ago. And I think now they get it a lot more right. They definitely do. I think they do a better job at getting it more interesting. I think if they just turned around a month ago and said, yeah, we're just going to increase everything by 50, 60% or whatever was a good amount. I don't think anyone's strategy would change. I think you just keep putting money in the players that are doing well. I think now it's like, hang on, there's a whole new couple of elements to think about. I think that's where FI do a good job. So I kind of liked it. I like adding more elements to the trading and more elements of who you can buy. I don't think you know just increasing buzz each time is healthy. And I just think it's less interesting as well. We've got a question here from FI Crafty. With the second half of order books on the horizon, what becomes the biggest challenge for Football Index to overcome to build the market cap. So for context traders listening, sell orders are probably going to come in in the next, I think it's probably four weeks, definitely before September. That's been the kind of 
foghorn from FI that they've been telling us. So essentially what buy orders are, but the opposite. So sell orders, we're going to be able to choose what price to sell players at, but I believe in the spread. That's the kind of way I viewed it. Are you worried about this FI and chill? Is this something that's going to help you or hinder you in your kind of approach? And also after this is implemented, what is the next hurdle for FI? I think what FI have always tried to do is just make people buy and sell more. Obviously, you gain more commission through that. And they probably hate me as a portfolio because they're like, this is probably one of the biggest portfolios. It just doesn't trade like rarely ever. And I think I'm not worried about it at all. I think it would be good. It adds a new element to the game. And I think, you know, a lot of people are finding problems at the lower end of the market, it seems like. I don't really venture down there too much, but yeah, it seems like a lot of smaller portfolios have been complaining about not freeing up money and things like that. So I think it'd be good for that area of the market. I think in terms of biggest challenges, yeah, like we spoke about, I guess it's the ifs and buts when it comes to either like performance buzz matrix, changing media buzz, changing opta positions, things like that. I think when they change things or they leave doors unanswered creates uncertainty and uncertainty is usually the thing that holds back football index, I think. But I think most of the time they get through it pretty well. But I don't think there is a massive challenge for them to really overcome to build the market cap in like a sort of weird way. I don't think it's that big of a challenge. I think with a couple of changes here and there, like I think you kind of alluded to it, like a sort of roadmap of the changes that are coming, mm. which they've definitely started to do in the last six months or nine months. They've got a lot better at saying, okay, we're going to do this in three months, we're going to do this instead of just springing it on people. I think that's what will help bring more people into it. And I think it will help the bigger portfolios or maybe not the bigger, maybe the medium portfolios have a bit more confidence. Mm, Because like, you know, everyone who has a big portfolio doesn't start off that way. You know, like, as you mentioned, you started with a small amount and then you built and built and built. So it is about not only satisfying the people that have most money in the platform, but also satisfying everyone across the platform. Because someone who has a thousand quid in here might have a hundred thousand quid in in a year, if that makes sense. Exactly. I think it's not all about like catering to the big names on Twitter and the big portfolios. You've got to get those sort of small, medium portfolios like excited about it. And, you know, they've got to be interested to put more money in or at least trade more to try and get more. I think it's relatively easy if you're a bigger portfolio to do good on Football Index or maybe see better returns right now. So they need to do something about that. And hopefully order books will help with that. Mm. We've got a question here from DYLBRO. Dilbro? <laughs> I don't know. Just trying to get someone, you so dildo. Yeah, I was thinking that as I spelled it out. For someone new to the platform with a relatively smaller portfolio, is it really worth freeing up cash to buy Sancho? Yeah, this is a tricky question. <laughs> I mean, when I started, the advice was always you can make more money on the smaller players. So, you know, you can make a better percentage gains or whatever on lower price players, as everyone knows. I think I'm going to answer the question in two ways, really. I think right now, you're going to struggle to make a lot of money if you don't have Sancho or some of the other big players who are going to move or do something this summer. So I think if you haven't got Sancho, Grealish, maybe like Willian, some of those sort of names, and I've only got one of them, you know, I think you're going to struggle to make returns unless you sort of put a lot of interest in sort of the lower down players with players who are maybe coming up from the championship and stuff. Mm. But then on the flip side of that, I think when the season does start, I don't think you need to own Sancho to make better returns. I think for the amount of time I've been on FI, I've probably made the worst returns over the time because I haven't been 
that invested in it. Mm. So I think if you can put time into it and you do understand like what's going on at the lower end of the market, then I think you know you don't need Sancho, you don't need the big players. Obviously, it will be super painful when you know they win media buzz for like a week in a row. But mm. I don't think you're really targeting that. I don't, I don't think that should be your strategy. You should maybe think about it after getting to a certain size where you're comfortable saying, actually, we're going to diverse from my strategy a bit and just buy a couple of the big media players just to sort of get that returns. But yeah, I think when the season started, you don't need them. I see plenty of people, I think for like six months when I was playing this, I just bought a couple of players who were injured and they made good returns for me. And I've seen a couple of people banging on Twitter about how that's a good strategy. So I think there's, yeah, you don't need Sancho. Although that's also said with a sort of pinch of salt where you should always have Sancho. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree with a lot of what you just said. And I think people forget, you know, the French League is starting at the end of August. We're only a month and a half away from the Premier League restarting. I don't think people should get the kind of FOMO to break from their strategy. If he's a player that suits your strategy and is part of your strategy, then by all means do that. But if you're kind of selling players at 30% spread, you've got to realise how much money you need to make off those sales to actually buy Sancho and actually be kind of just in the black in however many months' time. A lot of times people just don't do the maths and they end up being like, oh, well, hang on a bit. I thought, you know, if I bought 10 of him or 100 of him, if he went up 10%, I'd be in the same position. Well, actually, no, net, you're down 20% because you spent 30% loss instant selling a player here or 15%, whatever it may be. So people don't realise how much instant sell kind of eats into your profits more so now that the spreads are on average larger because of the matching engine system hopefully that becomes smaller with the sell side but here we are you know this is the situation you're in and don't think people should panic or FOMO yeah I think also people need to think about like what the market is now I think some people think about what it was like nine months ago what it's going to be like in nine months I think you've got to if you're that sort of portfolio you've got to think about what it's like now like you said buying Sancho now I think you should be thinking of that as like at least a year before mm. you sell him. Like you shouldn't even be like remotely thinking, okay, if I buy Sancho today, I could sell him on like the first of September. If you're thinking that, then you know you're betting on him going up quite a lot. And if you're only buying like two or three of him, then personally I don't see how that's gonna get you going really quickly. If you're buying the big ten, I think you should be at least holding them for like a year or at least a season to see what happens. Obviously, you've got to keep tabs on certain players up there and see what they do. But I think most of the time, those big guys, you've got to hold them a lot longer. And I think to add to that, I think the time I made the most profit on FIs when I literally just did nothing, I remember just for like six months, I just picked the players I wanted next season. I was like, yeah, they're good players. They're going to win me some buzz. You know, they're going to do good. I looked through my portfolio, actually, and I was looking, I was like, who is my highest div earners over three years? And there were so many names in there that just completely shocked me. And their prices just don't even reflect where they are. And if you think of it like people are buying the players for three years, then that's what you should really be looking at. I personally think of it like that. So I had like Gundogan and stuff like that. And I was like, why the hell do I still have him? But he still earned me like a lot of dividends over the three years and good profit. So it's a tricky one. I think you can do a lot better without having Sancho in your portfolio. I'm Mm. not saying go buy Gundogan. Like, I sold him, but he did make me a significant amount of money. <laughs> Fair play. I guess that's the, the trials and tribulations of the passive trader, right? You know, you lose some, you win some, and some are going to sit there forever, and hopefully they win you some dividends. Just before we move on to more questions, I need to remind you, this is going to be the favourite athletic plug that I ever do, because Football Linux are introducing the athletic into the media buzz scoring from September. So 
if you don't want to miss out and you want to have a subscription of The Athletic, why not use the FIG code? So if you go theathletic.co.uk slash FIG, so theathletic.co.uk slash FIG, it costs £2.99 a month if you go for their annual deal. It's no longer 50% off. It's still 40% off, which is amazing. And it costs £2.99 a month for amazing articles. And you can be ahead of the game in seeing some of the articles as they pop up onto the Football Index media buzzfeed, which is going to be really exciting, really amazing to see a great outlet. Great to have them on the scoring matrix from September onwards. FI and Chill, I'm going to ask you the fated question. What has cost you more than £2.99 recently? I don't know. I went and got a coffee today from a shop and that was ridiculously expensive. Oh, I got a Joe and the Juice the other day. They're freaking expensive. That was a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> I bought some Sancho. Obviously, he's expensive as fuck now. And uh, <laughs> ridiculously expensive. Yeah, I haven't really bought anything recently. As everyone else has known, probably living at home and not going to work for seven months has meant I've got a bit more money to play with. <laughs> got a few more Sanchez to buy. Yeah, I actually haven't bought any in a long time. But <laughs> I always buy them when they do the promotion cash drop. Okay. I'm like, I'll just buy another Sanchez. What did I buy? Oh, my computer completely died on me. So the power supply. Thank you very much, everyone who I reached out to on Twitter, both for my ankle and for my computer. But essentially, the power supply in my computer went kaput. I had to buy a new one. It cost me 250 big ones, which is a lot more than £2.99. And to make matters worse, the hard drives got fried. So I've lost all my previous work, which is a nightmare. But they also cost me a fair whack to replace. So not a good week for the fig, you know. Twisting my ankle really, really badly and computer dying in the same week. It's not been good. Yeah, but you use your Twitter followers like some sort of Q&A, like helper, medical advice thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I realised, F.I. and Show, about three months ago, six months ago, I realised that there is someone in the football index community for everything. So, you know, when me and Panda started doing the podcast, we started mentioning oral hygiene, gardening. We had gardeners reach out, dentists reach out. And then I started mentioning hay fever. Had a few people reach out about hay fever. These are the pills that you need to get fig. And I was like, look, there's got to be some sort of sports therapists out there. You know, twist my ankle really bad. It starts swelling. Tweet out. Get a few DMs from sports therapists. Love it. Computer breaks. Tweet out. Get a few DMs from people that know what they're talking about from a computing standpoint. So it's proved a successful strategy. And when it doesn't work, I'll stop doing it. But if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I will continue asking the community for help. And thank you very much. Hands together. I really appreciate it, everyone. Someone needs to misuse that. <laughs> Get him investing in something that's a bit dodgy. <laughs> They've tried. Bobby Axelrod, as a fellow passive set-and-forget trader, what's your process of picking players? Extensive intrinsic value research, gut feeling, and also do you set a dividend goal for each month, each year? First of all, I don't set a dividend goal. I try to keep my players for three years at pretty much a minimum. As Fig knows, <laughs> I've got quite a lot of players at that sort of level. Gut feeling, I guess so. I think a lot of it's gut feeling. I think stick to the sort of old premise that if they're a good player, they're usually going to win dividends or they're going to either be in the running to get dividends. Obviously, you have to have some form of, how do you say, like FI swing on that because you have to say, okay, well, they're a good player, but if they're not suited to the matrix, then probably not the best. But I think most of the time you stick to good players, you'll be fine. I don't really do too much intrinsic value research. So yeah, I think most of the time it's just playing what the FI sort of matrix is and what works for FI and overlaying that on what are good players. So if they're young coming from a certain place and they're linked with United, I mean, most of the time I'll buy them, even if they're linked like a year or two away, or maybe they've got some good dividends from a year or two away, then I'll buy them. I think a good example is like Kevin De Bruyne. I think his price, and I've got some as a a sort of 
before I'd say anything, I think his price is sort of undervalued personally, but maybe with a good sentiment, it might help him out. <laughs> <laughs> it might do, yeah, if people start writing about Man City. If you look at his divs relative to other players around him, then technically he's undervalued or other players are overvalued. So he's a good player who wins dividends. A lot of people spend a lot of time trying to search players that are bad players that win dividends or the opposite way around. So I try and keep it easy for myself. A lot of people do overcomplicate things though, don't they? 100%. Even people that are passive like yourself or people that are very much trading in and out of players very regularly, a lot of people do overcomplicate things. And the best strategy has been to date with Football Index, buy players that you think are good and you believe in that you think are going to win dividends in the future. And if you kind of hold to that very base loose strategy, it's hard to go wrong, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's, I think another example was like Haaland recently. You know, like people say, oh, I guess rubbish performance buzz scores. Yeah, but every time he scores a goal, he wins media or something. So it's like, you know, a lot of people have got a lot of opinions on it. I think there's some players out there who are really overpriced who've never won a dividend and people are saying that they'll win them in the next three years. I think if you stick to the who's good, who's in fashion, let's say, it'd be hard to go wrong. Yeah, for sure. Got a question here from Tom Fennell from the Discord, the Fig Patreon Discord. It's patreon.com forward slash fig. How often do you reassess your portfolio or is your strategy more of a set and forget? If the latter, how much time do you spend researching holds and what are you looking for in them? Yeah, this is pretty laughable really because of the amount of time I spend on FI. But I think my strategy is really beginning of the season, look who did good last season, reassess where they are in terms of maybe where they are in their career, set those sort of players up for the year. I'll hold my hands up and say, all the media boys, I've got all of them. So they're pretty staple. I don't really set and forget it, let's say, in terms of most of the players, but I will check in on where they are in the news and where their contracts are. For example, like I don't touch players like Bale. I don't touch players who are potentially like coming towards the end of a contract, like David Silva maybe. I would tend to pick players who are maybe one or two years into their contract and have got good dividends with that club. So I reassess it maybe like twice a year, I think. Would you say mm. I do that, Fig? Maybe like I twice know. a year? You know, I'm not your advisor or consultant. <laughs> I don't know. We talk about it like fairly regularly. Yeah, maybe like every four weeks. Yeah, maybe like twice a year I would do like a big sell-off. I'm not the sort of player who's going to sell before summer, for example, mm. and then buy back after summer. Now with the matching engine, I'll just hold the player and <laughs> put in some low bids and I don't lose anything on commission because I'm not selling and I'm just using the media boys to strengthen my season players, basically. In your bio, it says, if I'm on FI more than an hour in a week, I'm drunk. Yeah, mate, 100%. <laughs> I think like sometimes I look at my portfolio and I'm thinking like, why the fuck do I still have that player? I go through like a month of just selling players. I rarely buy anyone new, only maybe, like I said, twice a season will I look at players. And that goes with a pinch of salt. Obviously, if there's a player who's doing really well and is rising like crazy, then I will just jump on and I usually jump on pretty big because most of the time you can't go wrong with that. But they have to be some of the big boys, like not just like, the small rises in the middle layer, I don't really jump on that. I think a lot of people can get burnt doing that. Got a question here from Chris Hall, FI Trader. If you had to pick one player from the top 200 and one player from the squad for your portfolio for the season ahead, who would they be? I did think about this, actually. I wrote it down. I think top 200, I'm not going to say in the big boys. I think Hakimi. I jumped on him like six months ago. He's done pretty well so far. 
And I think he'll do pretty good. He's a good player. He's attacking minded. And I think he just got changed position, did he? Mm. He keeps going back and forth. I mean, because he's moved to Insta, he keeps going back and forth between midfielder and defender. And I think he's a defender now, but he's listed as a Real Madrid player. I don't know. It's something weird's going on. I'm not saying don't buy him, but I'm saying don't be surprised if he gets changed back. Yeah, he's listed as a Real Madrid defender, but obviously he's moved to Inter Milan now. So if there's another change, don't be surprised. But yeah, go on, sorry. Because at Dortmund, he was listed as a midfielder and he's still got pretty good scores. I don't think he really won that much recently, which is probably because his price went down a bit. But he was always up there. And I think, who was it? That striker or left wing for Dortmund just kept winning it like week after week. But he always got good scores and he's pretty attacking. So if he is a defender, he'll do pretty well. And if he's a midfielder, he's always in the running. So he's pretty young. He's probably definitely got three years left on him. So he's pretty good. I've got him. So I'll hold my hands up to that. One player from the squad. I don't think I've got anyone from the squad in my... Sure you do. You just mentioned you just sold Gundogan. Oh yeah, well, okay, sorry. I've got some players and I'm selling. But like my strategy usually isn't to go for squad players. So I had to do a little bit of a search around, to be honest. And I think I was surprised by Tolisso's price. He's gone down quite a lot recently. And he's always linked to United, but then never goes. I think they want to get rid of him soon. So that could be one that could be potentially all right. I think this might be the summer that he actually moves. Yeah, exactly. I think I had him before, like last summer, because I was like, yeah, it could be all right. And this summer, it seems like Bayern Munich would want to get rid of him like pretty badly. And he's linked to United, which is always a good sign. But again, like, he's pretty old, 26. But he hasn't really done much for Bayern. So. Been so injury prone, hasn't he? That's the other yeah, thing. Yeah, there's so many injuries. There is a lot of injuries. But I don't know, mate. I never go down into the squad players. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure you probably have some squad players. You just haven't looked close enough. <laughs> Got a question here from JARFI, J-A-F-I. If you could add one brand new feature to FI, which has not been mentioned by the community before, what would it be? For example, I would like the opportunity to bet against a player doing well and his price to decrease. Yeah, this is a top question. And this is the one I put to the Flip Friday boys. And we came up with some good answers. Obviously, shorting a player is pretty cool. I think we're quite a way off that though. Especially with new people coming in, that's almost a dimension too many. And I don't think like the matching engine is like completely fixed, not fixed, but set. So I think mm. if there was to be shorting a player, that would be a while. And that also comes with a lot of, if you actually do that, like in the real world, not in the real world, <laughs> in like real markets or in like FTSE and stuff, it comes with quite a lot of, not rules, but there's quite a lot of things you have to jump through to do it. They don't really let like many retail traders do it. But apart from that, we came up with two other ones. Obviously, the fig knows that apart from goalkeepers, my second how should we say, campaign for FI is to have managers. It's just such a bad idea. It's fucking brilliant. It might not be as good now negative sentiment, but imagine having managers. It just adds another dimension. I think that's the dream, like have like some managers in there because then it adds a new dimension to like Wayne Rooney, Frank Lampard. Like what happens to them? Like do you keep them? Do you not? That's the pretty (laughs) jokes one. And then our second one, which actually, shout out to the Fit Friday boys, they came up with it, was you could... Maybe it's been said before, but you could put money into traders instead of into players. So <laughs> I don't know if you've seen like in like mortgage bonds and yeah. also in like poker, you can give poker players, well not give, but like you sort of invest with them. So you say, okay, Fig, I think you're a pretty good trader and your returns are outperforming the market. So I'll give you 10 grand and whatever you make. So if you make 5%, you give me 
0.5, let's say, for example, or something like that. And you could do that. It's called something. It's just a fund, basically. Yeah, it's like fun. A fig fund. Is that what you're getting at? <laughs> you know, I've seen your portfolio, mate, and I'm not sure. There's some people out there who are doing pretty good. But in terms of poker, it's massive because like the poker players like can't get their buy-ins for these massive tournaments. So a lot of them are like like the big guys, like are 80% owned by like fans. Obviously, that could create like a massive game changer in terms of like the size of the market because if a passive trader was like actually like the market's changed so much or I'm so busy, you can create a fund for people. I think that would be pretty interesting. I don't know if it would work, but it'd be pretty interesting. Maybe. I think there might be some regulations against that, but it's not the first time I've heard it. I've heard it around quite a few times. So let's see. Maybe one day, Fig Fund. Fig Fund would definitely be against it because like people already accuse you of manipulating the market, mate. <laughs> I'm not sure how it would work, though, because poker's gambling. What do you mean? I mean, VC funds have podcasts. Yeah, true. I think so, it would work, though, because poker's like pretty much exactly the same. And yeah. they get funds. I don't see why it wouldn't work. I don't know what the market would react to it, though. I've had conversations with people who have been like, listen, Fig, I've got this guy that I want you to introduce you to. He's like a millionaire and he'd chuck like 100k into this thing. But the trick is he doesn't want to look at it. And I'm like, well, it's just not really how it works. Like, I can help you and I can teach you how the market works and I can kind of like advise you as much as I can but I can't do it for you that's not how it works and they were like oh well honestly he wouldn't be interested in it and I was like oh you know I could spend like 10 minutes a week chatting to them about FI and their portfolio whatever maybe they were just like no wouldn't have it they don't want to look at it at all so I think there definitely is a market for it if regulation wise it could happen I think there's definitely like that sort of functionality or let's say that sort of addition to the market you're never going to attract the super wealthy to the platform you're always going to have like a market cap of a certain amount of what someone's going to put in there and you're always going to rely on people below that number investing if you look at like the sap 500 for example it's basically owned by a very small minority of people or companies who are just passively putting money in and letting other people do it and that's mm. how it grows so big i think without fi getting to that sort of level, you're always going to have a limit on the sort of people you can attract in. I think maybe it, it might be detrimental to FI because if you get like some super wealthies come in and they're just like, actually, we'll just put all the money in, then I don't know what it would do to the market because it changes the game a little bit and maybe it would be not as attractive to the lower down, the smaller portfolios. Mm, interesting. Uh, a lot of things to mull over there, but uh, yeah. <laughs> not that many, just managers, <laughs> mate. We just want managers. We don't want managers. If anyone from FI is listening to this, please never add managers to the platform. Wait, think about managers. Well, I think that's all we've got time for. Thanks so much for joining me, man. Uh, you've been a quality, quality guest on the Figcast. Where can people find out more about you on Twitter? What's the handle? Mate, it's FI and chill, I think. Is that exactly what it is? <laughs> I don't know, mate. Let's check. That's how little I used it in. How bad is that? FI and chill. Yeah, FI yes, and chill. Yes, at FI and the word chill. That's how little clued up I am on the, the Twitterverse. Like, I don't even know my buddy. I only got it, like, what was it, like, three months ago? I had to get rid of my personal one. <laughs> I was like, I can't be having that. Well, thank you very much for joining me, and thank you all for listening. If you guys are commuting right now, then stay safe wear a mask and all that good stuff. If you're not commuting, then stay safe and take care of doing whatever you're doing. Sorry if we didn't get to answer all your questions. There's was always quite a few to get through. Remember, Football Index is a gambling platform, only bet you can afford to lose and stop when the fun stops. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening and have a great day.